Bibles to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. And we'll dive right into the message tonight. Acts chapter number 8. We see, if you remember last week, we saw the death of Stephen. He was martyred for being a Christian. He was martyred for his stand for Jesus Christ. A good, godly man, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. And we see that he was martyred. Can you imagine? Sometimes I try to put myself into the passages and into the stories. I don't know, do you ever do that? You ever put yourself in there? I do it often. I do it a lot of times. I, you know, we look at David and Goliath and that story. I put myself in that story, and I think of what it would be like to have a giant of a man like that and all the armor and me not really knowing what I'm doing, but I can handle a slingshot and being able to knock the guy down and then being able to barely grab his sword and chop his head off. I go through the Bible, and I'll get, I wonder what it would have been like to be Moses and to just see through that little cleft of the Lord. What it would have been like to be the disciple sitting with Jesus. I really don't want to know what it was for them when he died. But did you ever think, you know, sometimes when we look at the disciples and we look at the early church, and sometimes we think as we're in the book of Acts, this is a long time ago that Jesus died. It was only a few months before this time. So honestly, in my mind, myself into this passage, I think about what this had to have reminded the disciples about and the early Christians. This is just like what they did to Jesus. And it goes from where the Jesus died, rises again, and they're empowered to do the work of God, and it spreads like wildfire. And I mean, they waited for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost comes, and God is doing a work in Jerusalem. I mean, taking 120 and growing that in over, to over 3,000 in one day. And then a few days later, 5,000 more. This church is taking off. And you have Peter and John going into the and they heal this man in the name of Jesus. And you see the uproar, and you see the persecution begin. You see the problem. And Christianity is Jesus to this world. Why were the early Christians persecuted? Because of Jesus. This world doesn't like Jesus. The religious people of Jesus' day didn't like Jesus. Most of the religious people today don't like Jesus. Jesus is the major dividing line. And we see that as they healed that man, we see the persecution begin. They put them in jail. And then they let them go and say, don't preach in that name anymore. And what do they do? They go back in, get right back to it. And then they beat them this time and say, don't do it again. But all of a sudden, it's changed. This is not a little beating and sent on your way and quit preaching in the name of Jesus. This is Stephen, Stephen being thrown in a pit and martyred for his faith, just like Jesus was martyred. And I'm sure that if they heard any of those words or if they were any father, forgive them. I'm sure they had flashbacks 
to what happened when Jesus died. I put myself there. I try to put myself as best I can into the early church's shoes. Everything's going great, and now this happens. What are we going to do? The trials come. We look at chapter 8 and verse number 1. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Can you imagine what that would have been like, his funeral? A man that stood for the Lord, one of the first deacons of the church that was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine the, how they lamented over him? And rightfully so. Look at verse number three. The Bible tells us here, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. If you were a Christian and Paul, Saul found out about it, he would go in your house and put you in jail. I wonder tonight how many Christians in 2022, if someone came to your door and asked you if you were a Christian, if you would admit it or not. Or I'll ask you a better question. If they walked into your house, could they tell you're a Christian? Because your house should scream out that you're a Christian. It really should. Not literally scream. But it should be obvious there's something different in this house. Just a little thought there. Number four tells us, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, I love this, went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't hide. They didn't go somewhere. They didn't scatter out and say, we're just going to wait till this dies out. We're just going to hide ourselves, lay low a little bit, and see what happens. No, they were scattered abroad. And as they're scattered abroad, they went everywhere abroad, and they continued to preach what got them in trouble in Jerusalem in the first place. And it says, and they went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, was Philip an apostle? No. Who was Philip? Another deacon in the church. And Philip, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. This is the city that Jesus went to. Remember that? And Jesus found the woman at the well in Samaria. And he needed to go through Samaria. And it says, And preach Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits cried with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken of, with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. I pray that you'd help us and guide us tonight. And I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture that we would see the truths that we can find here and we take them and apply them to our lives and to our hearts. 
We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The title of my message tonight is very simply, God Turns Trials into Triumphs. Well, this world, what we look at here, we see the church being persecuted, and we see this called-out assembly at Jerusalem facing unprecedented pressure. And yet, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ continues to spread in the midst of of the trials that we see. You know, for some reason, we've got this idea of Christianity and the, and the Christian life that's all going to be sunshine and roses. That's just the wonderful life, and there's never going to be any trouble. It's always this wonderful. No. In this life, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a lot of trials that come our way. The best part about it all is you're not alone when the trouble comes. Now, you remember when you were younger and you got in trouble for something? There was a group of you together, and something happens, and everyone matters, and you were left there by yourself. Wait, that happened to me, John. Knew you and I would be able to fill that one for sure. Maybe none of the rest of you. How many of you are honest say that happened to you? You got, in, yeah. Because why? You get in trouble. Everyone, you know, something happens. Everyone takes off, and you're left right there. Remember a while back when William broke the window, kicking a ball through the window. I walk out there, and I just see his face, and I'm like, oh, man, that's the same face I had. But the only thing is Eric was still there with him, and so Eric didn't know better than to leave him. He stayed there with him in the midst of it, and they both had that dumb look, in their fa- that wonderful look on their face. But a lot of times when we get in trouble, everyone, you know, when I go on some ride-alongs with our officers here in town, and you're called to a place where there's a group of people, it's amazing. The cars pull up with the lights on, and everyone takes off. When the trials of this life come to a Christian, Jesus stays right there with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And he sees us through. In all reality, one of the things that I believe in this passage, I want you to go with me back to chapter number 1 for a minute. And I want you to see something, and then we'll come back to chapter number 8 here in a minute. I do not believe that God's plan was ever for the gospel to stay in Jerusalem. I think they had great success in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in Acts 1, verse number 8, look at, what, look at what Jesus says. It says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus told the disciples that when you receive that power, you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, but you're also going to go throughout the region of Judea. You're going to spread out from there and go past Samaria. You're going to take the gospel to the world. One thing we don't see a lot of from chapter 2 through chapter 7 is them reaching the world. What we see a lot of is them reaching Jerusalem, right? Am I wrong on that statement? Do we see anyone going past Jerusalem with the gospel in the first seven chapters? No, this is a turning point in the book of Acts. And one of the things I believe is that the persecution, God used that persecution 
to get his people to do what they were supposed to do from the beginning. I think you can see that. They were supposed to be witnesses everywhere. And what happens? The persecution spreads them out. And now they're witnessing everywhere, right? Isn't that what we see in our text here tonight? So sometimes we might be doing the work of God and doing and think we're doing it the way God wants us to, but there are times that things happen and trials come to help us do the will of God better than what we did before. And God will use those things. Now, this is what you got to understand. Was the persecution, this is a great example of Romans 8, 28. Was the persecution good? No. You want to be persecuted? Was Stephen stoning good? Was it good that they killed Stephen? No. So the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good, right? To them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. The persecution here is not a good thing. It's not. It's not good. But God takes the persecution and the attacks, and God makes it good. Hey, if this didn't happen and Stephen didn't die, I do not think we would have the Apostle Paul. I'm a firm believer in that. Right? Am I wrong on that statement? And if Saul didn't go and persecute the church, they may have never spread out and got the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch and those people in Samaria, and then everywhere else the gospel gets to. So God took something that was not meant as good and that Satan, I think, was behind, and God is able to take it and make good out of something bad. Life is not always going to be good, and it's not always going to be easy. But as a believer of Jesus Christ and a follower of his, we know that God works all things together for good. You might not see it today, you might not see it tomorrow, but we have that promise from God. As we look at this passage tonight, and I want you to understand something, when we follow Jesus Christ, this is what the Bible says in Luke 9, 23, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's quite a statement Jesus right there. If anyone's going to follow me and come after me, they got to deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Now I know we have a cute little cross on the wall. Oh, I'll carry that cross with me. Do you know what the cross represents? Do you know the agony behind the cross? We are told to take up his cross daily. There's dying to self that has to take place. The cross is not fun. But if we're going to follow the Lord, it's part of the walk that's there. Christians don't like hearing that part of it. They like all the love and all the gushiness of Christianity. They don't love the truths. Really, in Christianity today, we can't handle this very much. Because we stub our end of the world and the Lord. and I'm exaggerating that just a little bit but we don't know what true persecution is they did in their day they could have been tempted to quit but the church kept moving forward and God took the trials of the church 
and he brought victory to the church. You say, well, I want you to understand something. Do you realize victory's already been won? Do you realize that tonight? You're not fighting for victory tonight. Victory's already been declared. Think about that for a little bit tonight. As these notes, we see number one, we see the loss of Stephen. We see that there in verse number two. The Bible tells us there in verse number two, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. When we think about the loss of Stephen, we think about letter A, the message of his death. He preached a powerful message, didn't he? Didn't he preach a powerful message? But do you know what was more powerful than the message that he preached? The forgiveness that he displayed in his death. It's one thing to preach it. It's another to live it. And that needs to be something that we as God's people and parents in this room, if you're going to preach it to your you're going to try and teach your kids to do what's right, you better live it. You need to live it. It's not this do as I say, not as I do. No, do what I say as you see me do what God tells me to do. That's how it's supposed to be. Somehow we get this idea that we can live and do what we want, but we're going to train our kids to do something different so they aren't like us. We show them that example, they're going to do the same things you do. But as we look at Stephen, the loss of Stephen, we think about the message in his death, the forgiveness that was displayed. And you think about Jesus on the cross. One of the greatest messages he preached. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The message in it. My mind always goes when I think of the death of one of God's people. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now we look at death today and we don't like death. I don't think anybody in, you know, we don't like talking about death. We don't like death. But do you know in God's eyes, when one of his people pass on, it's precious. I can remember the day that my grandpa died and I was right there in the room. That wasn't precious for me. There was nothing precious about it. But he was saved and knew Jesus Christ. And it was precious in God's sight for one of his children to be called home. We can look at this passage and we think about Stephen. I don't know how they felt as they took him. Can you imagine how mangled his body must have been with all those boulders being thrown on him? We see it's precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We see that not only do we see the message of his death, but we see letter B, we see the mourning. They mourned his death. And it was something they, they mourned, and the lamentation was a typical Jewish funeral, and they spent, or spent a lot of time mourning over that fact. Can you imagine how much more they mourned over the fact of an innocent man dying for Jesus Christ? Someone once said this, I want to live my life in such a way that my children mourn my dying rather than my living. Think on that one just a little bit. We see number one, we see the loss of Stephen, but number two, we see the trials for the church. We see the trials for the church. We look back at verse one and verse number three, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church. 
that was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Look at verse number 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Every time I read verse number 3, where Saul wreaked havoc on the church. I don't know about you, but my dad used to, when I'd ride with him in his car when I was a kid, he used to have the Bible on cassette. And maybe it was Scurby, Alexander Scurby. I'm not quite sure who it was, but he had the dramatized version. Anybody ever listen to the dramatized KJV on cassette? If you can that somewhere, just sometime. I love to and Saul wreaked havoc, and they played like this organ music right after that, make you think there was something really bad going on. I'll never forget that, that passage right there. In the book of Revelation, they had a lot of weird things go on too on the dramatized version of it. But we see the trials of the church. As we look at this and we think about this, we see, first of all, that these trials, letter A, had Saul's approval. Do you know Saul, the word it says, look there, it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. The word consent means to give hearty approval. Think about that for a minute. He was in full agreement, Saul was, that Stephen should die for his faith, or die for what he was preaching, I should say. He was in full approval of that. And one of the things that you'll notice, there were a lot of people that were in approval for this. The religious leaders of that day, the Sanhedrin, there were a lot of people that were for Stephen dying here. There were a lot of people for persecution to come against the church. And we think about these were trials of their faith. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It was a popular thing at that moment in time in Jerusalem to persecute those who followed Jesus Christ. From the leadership of the city to a lot of the citizens. And we see that Paul was active in persecuting. That's what he wanted to do. Saul thought he was doing God's work. It's amazing to me. He thought he was doing God's work. And you know, how far back, we think back with Saul... We, I know we look at the book of Acts and we think, as I said, this is only a few months after Jesus died. Where was Saul when the message of Christ, when Jesus was preaching? He was probably around. It's one of the reasons he probably despised him and wanted to get rid of his people, right? Just a thought there. We don't know exactly. I'm not going to jump and give you some doctrine behind that. But I'm just saying, he hated Christianity. He hated Christ. He hated that message. He loved Judaism. And we see that he approved of this. And there were others that approved of what was going on. And we see letter B. We see the fact that the trials reached every Christian home. Verse number 3 says, And as for Saul, he made havoc. The word havoc means he devastated. Look at that there. He, made, he devastated the church. Entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. He devastated the church. He did his best to, and you think about this, every Christian in this town was affected by it. It'd be like, you look at our church tonight, and we look at different things that go on. There are trials that we all face, but imagine the persecution coming for every one of us. They get a hold of the church roll somewhere, and they knock on your door. 
So you go to that Victory Baptist Church? Maybe. Who, me? I might have been there once or twice. The pastor's really the weirdo. Go get him, you know? That's what I, that's what I would say right there. And that's what I'd say, too. Go get the pastor. And then I get the pastor. Say, why, why do you make friends with all the police around? I wonder why. There's a reason behind that. You ever think about that? You ever think about having a good relationship with all them and when this world keeps going the way it's going? It's probably a good thing to have a good relationship with all of them. Just a little thought there. Just a little thought. Some of you have probably thought of that before. I've thought of that before. Say, is that why you did it? No, that's not why I did it. This is the benefit of it. But anyways, as we look at this, this trial reached every Christian home. We think about Paul and what he says about himself later on in Philippians 3, verse 6 and 7, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. He said, I persecuted the church. Bible tells us in Acts 22, and Paul's, he's speaking again, and I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Can you imagine what he carried with him? Do you know, I'm just, just a little thought. Everyone says it was a physical ailment that was his thing, his thorn in the flesh. Could it have been his past? I'm just throwing that out. I'm not saying it is, but could it have been his past? I love how he says in the book of Philippians the words, get the jar behind and reach forth to the things that are before, and he presses toward the prize for the high calling of Jesus Christ, right? But he persecuted the church. I'm sure that stuck with him. I'm sure the sights of Stephen, Father, they don't know what they're doing, forgive, I'm sure that stuck with him forever. When Jesus himself says, Saul, why are you executing me? I'm sure that stuck with him forever. But every house, Paul, we'll call him Saul, we'll get to him Paul next, in chapter 9. Saul was doing his best to stamp out this new thing called Christianity. Christianity. He went into every house he could identify as Christian and put them in prison and had them killed. That's what the Bible tells us right here. Wow, you want to stop people from doing something, this would be the way to do it, right? You stone one of their leaders that's out there preaching, and then you throw them in prison, and that should shut them up and stop them, right? wrong. We see number three tonight, and lastly, we see the triumph of the gospel. Do you know for 2,000 years, they've tried to stamp out the gospel and get rid of the gospel since the days of Jesus, and people are still being saved by the same gospel message today as they ever have been? The Bible tells us in verse number four, therefore, because of what Saul was doing, and as he's wreaking havoc on the church, because of that, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Oh, man. There are some verses you read, and it's just like, that's an amazing thing. What would I have done if they were going around my town to stop me from preaching? I'd probably go hide and lay low for a little bit of time. Not these people. They went someplace else. 
and they just kept preaching the gospel. Convicting thought. When's the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? They literally would be put in prison and put to death for preaching the gospel. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Do we not do that anymore? Oh, that stopped, right? It hasn't stopped. I think the church is just as responsible today to get the gospel out as it's ever been. And what is God going to have to do to wake his people up to keep getting the gospel out? What's he going to have to do? We don't like to talk about it, and I see when I look around, when everyone starts putting their heads down, not looking at me when I'm talking about this. When's the last time you shared the gospel? They could do it and risk dying for their faith. What's our excuse? There is no excuse not to share the gospel. We see, as we think about the triumph of the gospel, we see letter A, that the messengers were scattered. Paul talked about in Philippians 1, verse number 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The reason why I'm being persecuted and the reason I'm in jail, Paul is saying, is for the furtherance of the gospel. What are you willing to do to help spread the gospel? The Bible talks about in Matthew 10, verse 23 and 24, But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciples not above his master, nor the servant above the Lord. When they persecute you in this city, just go to the next one. Say, so if there comes a day where America says you can't preach the gospel and preach the truth of God's word, go find somewhere else. Keep preaching the gospel. Find another place. Find somewhere to preach it. They said, no, you can't preach in Jerusalem. We're going to put you in jail. So they went other places and shared the gospel. God's plan has always been for the world to be reached with the gospel. That is God's plan. The gospel was not just for the Jews. The gospel was for the entire world. To go to everywhere with the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel's for everyone tonight. And as we look at this and we see these things, we see that the messengers, they were scattered. And this persecution was used to help spread the gospel everywhere. And everywhere they went, they taught and they preached Jesus Christ everywhere. Man, just think about that. Do we, everywhere we go, share Christ? Or do we keep it as hidden as possible? Everywhere they went, they preached and taught Jesus Christ. Letter B, we see that they preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. So as they went everywhere preaching the word, we see the fact that it, the Bible tells us about Philip here. It says that he preached Christ unto them. The, we see this, we see that they preached it 
everywhere where what they preach the gospel. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 23, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews required a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. And may I just remind you tonight that the preaching of the cross, the preaching of Jesus Christ is what the world needs tonight. It hasn't changed. The message is still true. Just as Jesus went and told the woman at the well about that water that she would never thirst from again and told her about himself, we see that Philip goes here and he's sharing the same message with the same people that Jesus shared. The message doesn't need to be changed. The message just needs to be preached. And what we see is, letter C, souls were still saved. They still got saved. Now, was it the same as having 3,000 come to the Lord one day in Jerusalem? Or 5,000 a few days later? No, that's a little different. They spread out. But there were people getting saved. And may I just remind you tonight, I hear people often, I hear many Christians, people just, people just don't want to get saved today. When the gospel is preached, there are still souls that want to get saved. It doesn't matter what day and age it is, it doesn't matter what's going on, when the gospel is preached, people still want the gospel. There are still, God is still seeking hearts tonight. You realize that? God's still knocking on hearts. The Holy Spirit of God is still convicting men of their need for salvation. That has not changed. And in the midst of the devil trying to shut it all down, and that's what he's trying to do. That was like, I'm tired of what the church is doing. I want to shut this down. So what happens is they spread out, and now people are getting saved in Samaria. They're getting saved out in Judea. They're getting saved now it's not just the Jews getting saved, but the Gentiles are starting to get saved. And as we see this take place, we see, number one, we see that Philip went to Samaria. And this was not the apostle Philip. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, remember that? But this is Philip the deacon from chapter five, 6 and verse number 5. And man, I love the fact that we look at what deacons are in the Bible, and most churches today, the deacon or those that are called deacons in churches today, do not resemble anything what a biblical deacon resembles. I don't think I'm stretching the truth on that one. I think that's pretty true. He took the gospel. I've mentioned it before, but we're going to be getting ready before long to. We'll do some work and have some deacons in place. But I'll tell you this, you will never be a deacon in a church that I'm the pastor of if you don't earn a soul winner. If you don't win souls and go out and share the gospel, you'll never be a deacon in this church. You can find many churches out there that want someone to, to hold the title. We want to be biblical in what we do. I also wouldn't have a pastor who's not a soul winner. In all reality, if I had my way, I wouldn't let anyone teach in this church if they weren't a soul winner. But if I did that, I couldn't have very many people teach. We all need to be soul winners. 
And this is an important thing. We see that Philip, he went to Samaria, and then we see, secondly, that Philip preached Christ. The people received the message, and multitudes of them believed and were saved. And I love what the Bible says. Look at verse 8. There was great joy in that city. You know what this world's missing tonight? Joy. Do you know where they can find joy? In Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was said that the city of Chino found joy because of the gospel being spread there? The state of California, the people are happy. They really are fruits and nuts out there. There's joy out there. But it happens when they found Jesus. The city of Samaria, great things happen. And there's no greater joy than the joy of seeing Jesus change lives. If you've never seen that, if you've never never had the privilege of being able to lead someone to the Lord, and the Lord does the saving, we're just the messengers. If you've never had that experience, there's no greater joy. And then there's no greater joy to see someone come to the Lord than to see them grow in their faith. There's nothing like it to see someone grow. You might grow plants at your house. You know, they start growing, and they start out small, and you're so proud to see this thing grow up. And that's that's a cool thing. But there's nothing like seeing a new babe in Christ that you were able to help get the gospel. And then you're able to help mentor and disciple them and watch them grow and watch them lead their family. What was it that John said? I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. There is no greater joy than that. And sometimes you might look at a night like tonight and as I talk, and you might say, Pastor, we're here on a Sunday night. You're being hard on me. I'm not trying to be hard on you. We got to get the gospel out. And what has to be done for us to do that? We're looking at the early church that didn't do what the Lord wanted them to do and look at what it took for them to spread out and do what God wanted them to do. May we wake up before that comes. And let's follow the Lord. But this is the thing. The word's going to get out one way or the other. The gospel will not return void. And the gospel is still the message that the world needs. And the devil thinks he can get an upper hand at all, but he can't. The trials of the church, there were still victories that they had. And people were getting saved and still growing. And before long, there's going to be a guy, that guy Saul, his life's about to be changed. And the moment you come to Jesus Christ, your life will never be the same. I love the fact that he could take all, he, he poured his life into wreaking havoc on the church and persecuting Christians. And then he takes that same zeal and passion and pours it into what he does for Jesus. I love that about him.